thinking of that as a baker, you know, you don't want all your breads to look the same. It's artisanal. We're artists too. So like blending those pigments. And once you understand like that part of it, you're just like, I'm going to go out and look at these different radical grains and, and get all these pigments. You know, it's just, it's cool when people, when I tell them that they're like, ah, oh, it makes sense. But you know, I like to make yeah. bread that looks like my desert. It's just kind of this initial picture I have of the loaf I want to create and then I can just go like a painter into those grains and get the pigments and draw them out and that's what I did with the lineup of breads yeah This is the Sourdough Podcast, the show about the innovators, leaders, and creative trailblazers in the sourdough community and the stories behind the bread. I'm Mike Kilburn, and on today's show, guest Don Guerra recalls the journey he took to becoming the owner of Barrio Bread in Tucson, Arizona. He talks about his mission to spread the community-supported bakery business model around the globe and tells us why supporting the local grain economy is so important to his work. And just a quick community message before we start the interview. In the wake of the campfire in Northern California, there are thousands left without their homes and businesses this Thanksgiving, including many in our very own sourdough baking community. One way you can help is to head over to my website, thesourdoughpodcast.com, where you'll find a link to the GoFundMe page set up for Kayla Riddle. She's the owner of Untamed Bake Shop in Paradise, California. Kayla lost everything in the fire, including her home and cottage bakery, as well as the new Rothko oven she had just purchased to help expand her bakery. So let's rally around our fellow baker this holiday season and help get her back to feeding and educating her community in paradise. Thank you, and I hope you enjoy the episode. and welcome back to the sourdough podcast i'm very excited to have on the show with me today a community supported baker educator advocate, uh and owner of uh, barrio bread in tucson arizona mr don guerra don thank you so much for being on the podcast oh pleasure mike thanks for having me i'm really excited hey i've been, I've been really looking forward to speaking with you so yeah, I was hoping maybe we just jump right in. Uh, do you think you could start us off by telling us a little bit about yourself and maybe the journey you've been on up to this point in your career? Sure. Well, my name is Don Guerra. I'm owner and founder of Barrio Bread in Tucson, Arizona, community-supported baker and bakery. And yeah, so you know what I'm doing currently is um, operating Barrio Bread, and it's a really a bakery focused on local local food promotion and local grain promotion. Um, so that's of the last decade, I'm about nine years now. Barrio Bread started 2009 in my garage. Wow. And before that as an educator and before that as a bakery owner. So my sourdough journey has been about mm, 20, 25, 26, for seven, eight years um, wow. making this style of bread. And I love doing it because it just brings out the best of everything that the nutrition, the textures, the flavors, um, and I appeal, you know, true, true artisan bread, true crafted bread. Great. So, um, yeah, I started in, in Flagstaff, Arizona. After leaving the U- University of Arizona, I traveled to Flagstaff and found myself as a baker there pretty much, you know, when I arrived. So first day getting a, a job to become a night shift baker and make bread. And at that point it was, you know, yeasted bread, uh-huh. yeasted whole wheats, which was fun because it happened pretty quick. So you can see the full turn of it. Yeah. 
working with convection ovens and you know, things evolve from there. A lot of study, a lot of travel while living in Flagstaff and working at different bakeries and consulting. And, and sorry, this was your first job right out of college? Yeah, pretty much. I, you know, I left the U of A before, before graduating. It was my junior year and that was kind of tough, but found myself in Flagstaff because I just wanted to connect with, um, you know, something different. I was studying yeah. anthropology, but I'm kind of a hands-on guy. So, yeah. so I started way, anthrop- way back then. Anthropology, how did you, so how did, what made you think you'd be interested in bread or is this just the first job you landed or did you have much, you know, uh, exposure to baking before? No, really before that, it was just working in kitchens, you know, when I was younger through high school and mm-hmm. always had a passion for, you know, feeding people, making people smile and, and working hard and, mm-hmm. you know, kind of that food service business is where I was mostly um, growing up. But, you know, when I found bread, it was just, it was different. It was it just fit my lifestyle, uh, fit who I was as a person, you know, with bread, it's, you have to be a nurturing person. You have to be <laughs> someone that, you know, likes to work hard and, you know, there's a lot of physicality involved too, but it's the art and the science piece that really fascinated me about bread. You know, you can bring life to these ingredients and watch it grow and take care of it. And, you know, in the end you have something that you're, you're proud of. So, Definitely. um, bread was just my calling. I'm so glad. And, and I really say bread found me, you know? So mm-hmm. thankful for that. Just pulled me in, and luckily, yeah, I feel like it saved me, you know, with my life and what I wanted to do. Uh huh. So, at what point were you exposed to like this artisan sourdough? You know, the different style of making bread. Was that from the the first job there, or, or was it a few jobs into your career? No, definitely a few jobs into the baking career. Um, I was living in Flagstaff and thought you know, getting some more experience um, and trying to make some money and trying to make some good money. So I worked for the Boulders Resort in Carefree, Arizona. I went down there for a winter season and worked at this resort and, and you know, kind of in that industry. And that was fun. There's a lot of hard work and I made a lot of money. But while I was, while I was working there, um, you know, I'd always look around Phoenix for other baking jobs. And I mm. saw this bakery in, in Scottsdale called Arizona Bread Company. It was a startup and, you know, paper in the windows, construction going on. And I went in there and I asked if they were looking for a baker and um, they hired me. You know, I, I was working with a consultant at that time. You know, the consultant was um, Michelle Suez, now, of, um, you know, in San Francisco with the Baking Institute. And he had a, a consul- another consultant he pulled in to help with this job, Tom Leonard um, from Wheatfields Bakery in Lawrence, Kansas. And so it's just kind of a, you know, crash course in sourdough bread making. Tom Leonard stayed there and worked with me for about a, a month working the breads and, you know, wow. chance for me to help help this family from Ohio to get their bread production and their bakery off the ground. You know, they were, had a sandwich company and before that, so it was new to them, but, you know, I was hired to come in and, and work with a couple more bakers and get this company lifted off the ground and I'm so thankful it was startup and I learned a lot from that and then what yeah. I did is went to Paradise Valley Community College and studied entrepreneurship for that year oh, wow. so it didn't didn't sleep for a year but <laughs> it was an awesome experience you know and, and so this was and this was your you know ex- exposure to, to sourdough and and it, yeah what, what was it about sourdough versus other types of breads or uh, styles that kind of drew you in I mean you've already kind of talked about you know, baking in general, you know, right. the, the artistry and. Well, really, you know, back then it was the early nineties. So, 
you know, I'd see these books, I'd see these bread books, you know, like Dan Leader's Bread Alone and, you know, Jorty's The Village Baker. And I'd see these beautiful European style loaves. Um, and I was always so curious, how is this made? You know, I was working yeah. with Saccharomyces. So I didn't really understand how you got there. And I would try to, you know, come as close as I could making, <laughs> you know, to make it look like that. But when you're using the yeast, it's different than mm. using these sourdough cultures. So when I found this bread, it was a, it was a, bread that you really had to you had to you know develop some really solid technique um Mm -hmm. and understand you know a lengthy process and plan for it but in the end when you slow the whole process down you you just have this beautiful outcome this bread that's you know has flavor texture and then working with the european equipment you know these i was working with the tibaletti oven a deck oven and you know, I've worked with Pavier, but just working with these hearth ovens too was just blew me away. You know, <laughs> true baking. You know, this is ancient style of baking. You're using some modern technology. These well, okay, well, electric other, and deck ovens, but so maybe for home bakers like myself, can you maybe explain what? Yeah, what would be the major difference between these European style ovens and something like we might use, like a our conventional home oven? Yeah, so the hearth oven is is a great way to bake the bread. So that that means you're placing these doughs directly on the stones and then adding steam injection um, to the chamber, which allows them to expand um, first and foremost and kind of resist that forming of a crust. So they have a chance to, you know, expand and, and become, you know, breads with more volume. And then that, that steam also helps to caramelize the bread and produce that Maillard reaction, that nice rustic, dark look to the breads. And then give it that texture. It's harder to do in a convection oven. You know, we've all tried with the cast iron pots and that sort of thing. Put that in the bottom of the oven with the lava rocks or just putting water. But, you know, for the home baker, it's definitely achievable with the Dutch oven baking. You know, the combo cookers are. Well, maybe that's something I just learned right now from you, Don. I've been baking for like five years. I I always thought the point of the... uh, combo cooker was to or the dutch oven was to get the steam and the steam was supposed to help create the crust get it nice and crispy but you're saying it's it there's a different point to it no really that's you you have okay. it so using that using that vessel to trap the steam you know and where where does the steam come from it comes from the moisture of the dough as it as it dries but it's a that that technique is the best technique for home bakers, you know, the combo cooker to trap the steam and form that crust. And that's what I teach in my bread classes, but I think that's, you know, just pr- pretty much the same as what I have. I have but I have a big deck oven, but I think you can achieve, achieve great results with the combo cooker just as good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, very cool. Uh, and so as I understand you, you know, you you started your career out of college and, and you, and you kind of visited a few different bakeries and, but then you kind of took a little detour. Um, you went back and got your credential and you, and you taught in uh, K through 12 for a, a few years. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. So, well, the, the, when I was 25, I opened a bakery and we went back to Flagstaff and opened a bakery. And that was the result of that business plan I wrote at the community college and my experience at Arizona bread. So in 1995, I opened a company called The Village Baker, and that was, um, you know, a cute little bakery. It was awesome, kind of a just a little boulangerie focused totally on bread. And in 97, I opened another one with some partners in Ashland, Oregon, and so ran those bakeries for 
many years. And then, yeah, at that point, I decided, you know, kind of a tough go. The business had grown so much, kind of out of control for me. You know, I was 29 and mm-hmm. had about 30, 30 people or more working wow. for the company. And it was just overwhelming. Mm-hmm. And I had to kind of figure things out. I wanted to go back to, to Tucson and back to Arizona. You know, I was living in Ashland and visiting the two. But um, at that point, something just hit me and said, I need to change what I'm doing. The volume baking, the high production baking is not what I wanted to do. I kind of got away from the artisanal side of it and more into the managerial side. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, yeah, I sold my interest in the company to those two partners and came back to Tucson, Arizona and got my teaching credentials, you know, signed up to get my teaching credentials right away and went at the University of Arizona. So I'm a College of Ed grad. And that's really, I don't know, proven to be the best thing I could have done. Yeah, no, and that's, and that's something I, you know, want to talk about more as well is, you know, it's clear that you're an educator and, you know, and I've, 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 uh, been reading some of the your um some of the things you have on your website and and there's a, a few videos out there and and it's just clear that you're you're definitely you're an educator you know you're a teacher you're a baker um someone actually messaged me last week right after we had you know kind of booked our our time to talk together and he someone messaged me and said hey you've got to have don getter on the podcast you know, he's a sourdough evangelist, he said, an amazing spokesperson. He travels yeah. all around the world. Um, you know, would you say that's an accurate description, a, a sourdough evangelist? Well, I just love sharing it. And that's just part of the educator in me. You know, it's like we're, we're lifelong learners. And, you know, once you get into the field, you just want to be a lifelong educator and share what you know and inspire other people to develop their, you know, develop and expand their knowledge. And so that comes natural to me. And, you know, at the time, I was just kind of confusing selling the bakeries, becoming an educator. But then I started to think about it, you know, combining all of them with even with an anthropology and entrepreneurship. Oh, yeah. Driven to be like the perfect package, you know, the anthropologist, the entrepreneur, the educator and the bread baker. You know, and I say bread education, it's just my like my favorite content I could possibly be teaching. And I have you know, an education degree to kind of, you know, to have that solid pedagogy and to understand learners and understand metacognition and all these important parts of, of teaching and learning. And um, that's kind of like what I'm so inspired about now and kind of mixed with that entrepreneurship to develop kind of a unique business model. It's all making sense to me. It's just coming mm-hmm. around kind of never the way I had planned, but serendipitously, it's just kind of a yeah. in what it is. Well, it's, it's, it's so clear to see like how each of these different steps in your on your path have like benefited you and like how you've incorporated it all into into what you're doing now. Um, yeah, well, you know, one of those things I saw on I've seen online was this video. I don't know if it was uh, the Taiwanese government produced this video or or who it produced it, but you were you uh, traveled to Taiwan and you're kind of helping to spread this community supported uh, bakery business model. Um, yeah. Can you tell us a little bit about, about that, that work you've been doing? Yeah. Um, so like I said, just kind of combine, combine all these different aspects into one kind of model for me. And I'm, you know, labeling it community supported baker, or, you know, community supported bakery, whatever you want to use as that last word, but it's really just a mo- It's a model that I've thought, 
it's important for this day and age to just use the bakery basically as a food hub, mm. you know, and process local agriculture mm-hmm. and turn into, you know, my, my favorite thing, bread, right, to yeah. make. And so um, it, it involves outreach education, the bread production, and the local grain economy promotion. So those three things are kind of the pillars of the model. And, you know, I started talking about this and on social media and people – People were interested. Mm-hmm. People messaging me saying, you know, tell me more about this. And and some folks in Taiwan caught on to it. And so just for a while, I would see my Facebook posts and see these, you know, these people from Taiwan or Asia, uh-huh. you know, liking my posts. <laughs> and then I decided I better investigate. Who, who are these people? And it turned out they were just really interested in what I was doing and then invited me to Taiwan to to lecture about the model and to bake bread with them and to, you know, share methods that, People from all over Asia could learn. And, you know, so at my conferences, there's people from Singapore, um, Malaysia, Taiwan, Japan, mainland China. And it was just awesome that so many people would be interested and come to Taiwan. And my friend there, Philip Wu, he's just a celebrity. He's just an amazing guy. And, you know, he'd, he'd probably hate it if I call him a celebrity. But <laughs> he, 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 yeah, he's just such a humble guy. And that's a part of the culture. But he's kind of. Was he the one who invited but, you? Yeah, okay. and it, along with this, a senator there, okay. and so some other people to to adopt my model of CSB into Taiwan as an economic. Why was that something model. that was particularly attractive? You think in in Taiwan versus different parts of the the world, or you know, even our country? It just it just happens that this person Philip was just so interested. He had you know been a university professor, I believe MIS, but turned baker 15 years and operating bakery, but he was also fascinated with European breads. And it's just for some random reason, you know, we just years later after doing bakeries and kind of caught on to each other, what we're doing, but just weird connection, you know, how social media, you can across the world, you know, and this is Mm -hmm. happening more and more to me, but they became interested and I just had an awesome trip. I was there, you know, two, two times now. And it's really working with them to start basically what I, what we have going here, which is a startup grain economy or reinvigoration of the grain yeah. economy. So, you know, involving growers, uh, millers, producers, mm-hmm. and not, you know, not just bread, but, you know, and other products as well. And so this is kind of what they wanted in Taiwan. And within no time, I went there to lecture once and stayed in contact with Philip and had, they've had an amazing development. The second time I went back, um, you know, a year later, they had grower, Taiwan wheat grower, a miller, you know, bakers using Taiwan wheat, even the mantau. Wow. Yeah. That's so cool to see. It just, just exploded, on. but they're just doing it. Yeah. It just, it just makes yeah. me happy, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. You know, like you said, you know, it's just, it's, it's really interesting to see how every, everything is connected these days and it's so easy to like develop these relationships whether that be through social media or you know in your local community and um that's you know that's kind of the whole you know where this podcast came from basically i'm i'm you know i'm I'm just a home baker but i've had these just all these great connections with people uh you know online through instagram and and just it's a very encouraging community exactly and uh everybody's out there just uh you know getting inspiration from all these different places and and uh, it's just it's been really fun and, um, but yeah, yeah, so maybe we could talk a little more about community. I mean, that's really, again, like I said, 
I always try to pull back our conversations back to com- uh, to community and that aspect of sourdough. Um, and, you know, with, with you, it's obviously not a challenge to do that because, you know, the very motto of your bakery, it, you know, I think, as I've heard, is connecting community through bread. Right. That's my mission and, statement. You know, mm-hmm. mission statement. Yeah, that's uh-huh. my mission statement for Barrio Bread, connecting community through bread. It's just simple and it, you know, it's a great vehicle to, to get everyone involved. Uh-huh. And, and then, obviously, for our Spanish-speaking listeners, you know, Barrio means neighborhood and and uh, so what, you know, can you maybe tell us a little more, what, why is community or what does community mean to your business? And, and, you know, why is that so important to you? Well, I really feel it's, it's about mutualism. So with my business being a community supported baker, uh, bakery, you need the community. They're part of the, the whole connectivity, um, if you will, you know. So it starts with the community creating a market for my business, you know, how much bread they're going to buy. Can you and try to predict it and track it over time. But, you know, I'm creating a market. Then I turn around and create a market for the farmers and tell them yeah. how much to, how much to grow. And I'm having that meeting here in a couple of weeks to sit down with the farmers about next year's, you know, this year's planting. It happened in December and January. Um, but they're a big part of it. So, you know, what I try to teach is we're all in this together. Without community, I would have no market. And the if I have no market, I can't create a market for the farmers and I can't share the grain with other producers in my community, whether it be distillers or brewers or bakers mm. or pastry people. I mean, we're all involved um, and it is mutualism. It's true mutualism because we all need each other to, you know, even start this, reinvigorate this grain economy here in Tucson, Arizona. So mm-hmm. I, I tell them that when they buy a loaf of bread, you know, I say it's, it's, not just buying the bread, you're you're supporting the local grain economy. Maybe not the average customer goes into your store. Maybe they do. I don't know. But knows what? Yeah, the local grain economy is. Um, is that something that you could talk about or explain a little bit? Yeah, sure. So you know, it's it's been about seven or eight years since since there was a start. Uh, you know, startup of growing these variety of uh, organic heritage, modern, and some ancient grains here in Tucson, but. Um, you know, start out with four acres of white Sonoran wheat through a grant with Native Seed Search called SARE, Sustainable Agriculture Research Education Grant. So it's four acres of kind of test growing and recruiting farmers right after that to for more, more people to grow. Mm-hmm. So in, you know, this time, this development time of eight years or so, it's gone from about four acres, 10 acres up to 120 acres that wow. now the Monk family is growing and more down south where Avalon Gardens is growing. And then you... You know, up up north um, with Sossman Farms and Jaden uh-huh. and Hayden Flower Mills, you know, with what they're doing. But yeah. it's really – Emma was the first really person the who uh, recommended I, I, I speak with you, Emma Zimmerman. Yeah. Well, great family. And we've – I think we're all just so excited that this dream that, you know, was thought of in the first place and along with Chris Bianco, Mark Bianco and, and Jeff thinking, you know, growing wheats in the desert, would it work? And – it's just an, been an amazing time, but really the community and that this is the education outreach part of the, my business is, you know, if, if this is what's happening, you can't leave it up to the consumers to investigate for themselves. What big part of my business is, is educating the community, getting out, holding seminars, you know, doing these bread mm-hmm. demos. When they come in the bakery, you know, I'm at the front of the bakery all the time, either at the oven or at the counter to 
mm-hmm. describing the breads, let them know what they're getting, you know, and, and the thing I love about the, the that's so unique, yeah, though, you, you know, like have to be there. Nobody, I don't, that's not normal. You don't go into most stores and get to talk to the person who made the food and watch them make it, you know. Right. And that's a, that's important for me to have that oven up front, you know, my deck oven, pulled in deck oven right up front, eight meter oven. And so that was a way for me to work with my staff to, for them to learn about the breads and to be able to talk about it with the consumers after they've heard me go over and over and over, you know, but it's a, it's an educated sale to the consumer. They, they see it's transparent. They can see right into it, the, the process and, you know, it's a spectacle to them. But it lends itself to, mm-hmm. hey, why is this like that? Or what are you doing there? Or, you know, watching the breads come out of the oven and mm-hmm. just like magic, you know. And so I'm there to educate them. And once they and once they get it, they get it. And I think this is kind of where we're going in the bread industry is consumers have to be aware of what they're eating. But I also think they're more they demand more information and they they want to know who their producers are. They want to know what's going into their food. So the bread is like a beautiful, beautiful food because it's simple. Um, they enjoy the process because it's more digestible form of bread, being sourdough, um, low gluten, and then talking about the grain economy, what they're supporting. So you get these people really fascinated and they become like your biggest advocates. So when people say I'm an evangelist, it's really like I'm just yeah. talking yeah. about it. And they're just they're the ones who are like. We'll support you. There's a hunger for more than just the food. Yeah. People just craving that information. Right. Um, Yeah. So I also read that you, and this is, I think, probably connects back to your community, local um, community around your bakery, but you were awarded a a USDA local food promotion grant. Yes. In 2015. Mm -hmm. Yeah, can you tell us more about that? And like, so what did that allow you to do in Tucson, and how did that affect your bakery? Well, it affected my bakery in a big way. So in 2009, you know, I started Barrio Bread out of my garage. So, uh-huh. you know, I tapped into the Cottage Food Law, uh, which is almost every state. So I recommend going to forager.com, f o r r a g e r dot com, and you can look at all the the um, Cottage Foods rules and regs for your state. You can just click on the state and find us out. But that's, you know, I started in my garage and I and I was operating out of my garage as the only baker baking, you know, about eight, nine hundred loaves a week in a four hundred and fifty square foot wow. spot with a with a modular deck oven and benches and a mini split for heating and cooling and wow. some refrigeration. And it was like an ideal little bakery for one person. But you know, it was um kind of like eight the Steve later. jobs of uh yeah and this is and this is the other thing i'm teaching along with you know sharing the information about bread and business modeling in my current business but you know how to get started with less capital outlay mm-hmm. like i did you know mm-hmm. thirty thousand dollars and you can have a business that can gross a hundred thousand dollars in a year that's enough to pay yourself and oh, yeah. pay your ingredients have a little takeaway and enjoy what you're doing so i've been working you know and this happened in taiwan i by the time I came back the second time, there are several convert garage conversions, people in Taiwan making bread out of their garages and wow. having these this industry, you know, this this business. And that's what I love to teach along with this local grain economy development and the bread um, technique is no bakery is too small. Mm-hmm. You know, there's people think they can't be bakers. You know, they're going to wait around until they have a bakery to buy the local grains. Well, 
why not start it? Why not, yeah. you know, develop a website, an e-commerce platform, sell your bread like I did out of the garage and, um, you know, secure a trade name and, and get some entrepreneurship training on the job, you know, get QuickBooks and learn how to do all these pieces, advertising promotion, but without the risk of, you know, a $200,000 outlay, $250,000 outlay. Brick and mortar. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And it's not advisable unless you're ready to really commit to it. But back to the local food promotion. We're going to have to edit that one. <laughs> um, yeah. Got off task. So the local food promotion grant, like you said, 2015, um, took me out of the garage and into a brick and mortar. So it was a $100,000 grant that I applied for and was awarded. Wow. And it was a really select process of all the people across the country. But, you know, this is the story I was telling to the mm -hmm. Department of Agriculture. I want to I want to expand my business and use the local grain economy. And as we'll get to the people and, and make bread, the grant was about taking what's growing in your re in your area, turn it into a food mm -hmm. and getting it to the public. Mm -hmm. It needs to involve outreach, education and a stimulation of that agricultural sector. Mm -hmm. And when I'm reading this grant, I'm thinking, my gosh, I'm reading what I've been doing for the last yep. eight years, you know. So it just made sense. And I had applied for a couple other small grants before that and struck out. So I was, you know, writing these grants and developing this, you know, developing them. So when the USDA, I can kind of really take bits and pieces of my other grants and focus it just tightly on the requirements mm -hmm. of the USDA. But, yeah, it gave me... a the money, $100,000 to buy equipment, capital. Hmm. And so it was just my take it out. When my when going was getting tough in my garage, it was eight years, 400 square feet, working 80 hours a week, not eight, 900 loads. Eight years, wow. Yeah, yeah. And so, um, hey, as you can imagine, I was kind of climbing the walls, you know, I was ready <laughs> to go. But the good thing is also is I saved all, I saved enough money to match those funds and get myself in a yeah. brick and mortar with zero debt. So I just would say I saved over eight years, put a lot of money away, paid myself basically what I was making as a teacher before that. You know, I taught seven years in TUSD after graduating from College of Ed. So did that seven years and that's Barrio Bread 2009. But when I committed to going full time on the bread and retiring from teaching, you know, um, mm -hmm. that was my that's my entrepreneurial goal. Start a business, quarter million dollar business with zero debt, and it's amazing. I just think it's amazing that it even worked out. But I was just kind of like setting, you know, setting the course and along the way pick up some traction that, yeah. And then some, you know, big time, and I don't know if you want to call it luck or serendipity or whatever it was, but uh -huh. that grant came through and it was my ticket to. to well, you were ready. Up. You were ready yeah. for it. It I sounds like, you know, you're just, yeah. you're just on the right path and, and you were ready for it when it presented itself. Yeah. And building a community, you know, over that, that time. So when, when I went to brick and mortar, there was kind of, it was a more of a calculated risk. It wasn't, you know, I don't have any clients and they don't know my name, but I hope they find out quick. Instead it was, you know, these people were also ready to go. They wanted to see me expand my business and, mm -hmm. and offer more and more days a week. And so, you know, but, it, it, and that was the community support too. So they were just going to basically take me in, you know, and to be their baker and, it allowed me That's to a, kind of forecast that so yeah. and, and make it you know make it make it doable make it all the economics work and so though it's definitely working now it's you know it's a solid business i have nine staff and they're all super awesome you know employees and 
and friends and believers in what I do. And, you know, they're inspired to work there. They don't want to go home half the time because mm-hmm. they're so in love with it. But, and that's, and then that's kind of my sharing of the information, being a yeah. teacher and being a leader to them. So have you had many take their knowledge and, and go start their own bakery? No, they haven't. They, you know, I'm not sure. And that would be great for them. You know, that's kind of what it's, why we're all in the industry. And some people do that like I did. And some people prefer to work for other people. But mm-hmm. I think, you know, they're they're new into baking and they're just enjoying the ride too. They love to nail down this process mm-hmm. that I have. And I've tried to, you know, all those years in the garage, try to just streamline my process to think like, like an educator. Okay, mm-hmm. if I was to transfer this knowledge to someone else, what is my process? How can I make this the most learnable process you know possible and so over those years just trying to refine what i what i was doing you know with my technique and process and and nail it down and think okay well this is how i'm going to teach it and you know i was also ready to teach other people so i had a package you know basically a package built for my Mm -hmm. new staff like you know this is how we're going to take it from c to e and you know they're nailing it and not only my my bakers but my sales staff and my distribution staff and you know we're all small it's nine people but um and then my you know my wife has the back end of the business which is a lifesaver she keeps me super organized without her you know would not look the same at all so i'm thankful that people just believe in me and they've saw saw you know me struggle through the years of working a lot and trying to get traction and develop this whole concept but in the end, they're proud to say they work for Barrio Bread and represent. Yeah. They want to stay there. They want the the energy they get from my clients, you know, because they just, my clients will bring the love. I mean, it's crazy. They just bring it every day. They love it. And so thankful that they're, they're inspired. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So where do you see the next, you know, 10, 20 years of Barrio Bread? You know, kind of, and I say this, but more of the same, you know, exactly the path that I'm on is, where I want to stay because it makes sense to me. You know, what I'll probably end up doing is a little bit more teaching. Um, and I love doing it. I love the travel. I'm just really a passionate traveler. I love it. Just have a zest for just dipping into other cultures, being submerged and just making it work. And, you know, I think that's kind of the anthropologist in me, um, is like this food study around culture. It's fascinating. And going to Asia and doing all these Mexico or, you know, I just went to Poland, um, but this is what I love. So I'll probably do more of that and work with, you know, our city gastronomy and, and as being a partners with the Creative Cities Network, UNESCO, you know, more of that work, more work with um, Visit Tucson, City of Tucson to promote what, you know, what's going on in the, the gastronomy world in our city, but agriculturally too. And, you know, just really make Barrio Bread a leader in... And, a, and basically a knowledge sharing platform for what local mm-hmm. green economy development would look like and quality bread and how you basically, you know, can leverage your community to believe in what you do and being honest with them and, you know, to get their support and to just kind of grow things and have fun. You know, that's kind of the main thing. If I'm not having fun, it's not, it's not working, you know, but like, luckily I get up every day and I'm inspired to go to the bakery or, you know, go out and have some meetings or connect with people in my community. And, and now, you know, giving other people a chance to, um, to learn either the entrepreneurship skills or tap into using local grains in their products or, you know, 
me helping them to help sell their products sometimes. You know, that's kind of one thing I'm doing now. Yeah. So, yeah, it's it's just working on community right now. And I feel like that's, that's kind of what I'll do and work with the U of A. But kind of along the same pillars, you know, outreach education, bread production, and local grain economy development. Those are the three things I'm focusing on. And, and, my, and then when I say community, it's not just my local community. It's my national community, my international community. And, you know, when you really start to look around and, and network with these people, you realize how small the world is. So... It's just mm-hmm. kind of what I want to show that, you know, no bakery is too small and the world's yeah. not so big, you know, just get out there yeah. and connect with people and everyone gets inspired. And I think, you know, that's healthy living. And I think this day and age, we kind of need to repair communities and, you know, think globally what work locally and, and just, because uh, you know, I've seen it at work, you know, in the central Valley and in San Diego where I used to live. And it's just, it's really easy to go about your day and not even talk to your neighbor or obviously you don't know who's making your your bread or your food when you go to the store and and just to be able to have these connections with with people you know I, I was just out at Alchemy Bread uh, Bonnie O'Hara's bakery in Modesto and and just seeing what she's doing there and just seeing like you know the community of Modesto coming more close knit and it was just really encouraging to see that business model in action and so anyway, yeah, it's, it's, it's very inspiring work you're doing, Don, and and um, you're you're an amazing educator. And well, maybe that brings me to the next part of our, our our talk today. I always like to ask our experts when I get the opportunity a couple of questions about sourdough. Mm-hmm. I've had people write in some questions. Would you mind taking some questions? Sure. Um, so this one, actually, we've kind of talked about a little bit. Um, from Humble Bakehouse. Um, I believe he's a community-supported baker out here in California. And uh, he says, how would you make sure you don't get burnt out on baking? You know, as someone who has made the leap over to like a a community-supported bakery. Yeah, just kind of pace yourself basically by choosing, you know, the, the opportunities that work best for you. I mean, I think once you start to see people enjoying your breads, you know, they're going to ask more from you more and more and more. And I think you just have to be careful about picking and choosing, you know, like how many, even how many breads you want to make and create a, you know, and I don't, a lot of bakers, it's not really about um, balance because they work so hard. So like a, a work life harmony, you know, a baker life, a professional baker and, you know, the personal life harmony and decide how much you want to do. Um, and that's kind of with Barrio Bread. You know, as soon as it went to brick and mortar, there's so many more people that come at you and want, you know, want your support with this or that. And you want to give it all, but you kind of have to just choose what works for your life and how much you can give. I think mm-hmm. most importantly is like your physical health, you know, and then mm-hmm. can you sustain it? And then your mental and, you know, emotional and spiritual health, it's all related. So, you know, if you can't do it physically, you'll break down and just become worn out. Um, and that's, you know, people ask a lot of you. So you kind of have to just be firm on what, what you think is sustainable. And that means mm-hmm. getting up every day and can you do it again day after day. Um, but that's kind of what I found. You know, don't overcommit. So, mm-hmm. Well, and then, like you said, you got a lot, you have a, a storefront now. You got a lot of people coming in who maybe have never been exposed to artisanal sourdough. What would you say is like the most common question you receive from just your average customer walking in who is maybe not familiar with this style of bread? 
So in my case, which I love, it's about the the breads, you know, because I have so many different breads and on the rack they're displayed and they're all different and unique and, you know, representation of, you know, the desert. I try to like make them all look so different and strikingly beautiful. Um, and they are, yeah. Well, thanks. I just, you know, my medium there. Um, but they love <laughs> to ask about the breads, the differences between the breads. And mm. it gets me really excited because they're based on the different grains. Mm-hmm. And so when people, you know, I'm really trying to develop a bread culture. So they, they would say like, what's the heritage? How, are they, how does the heritage bread compare to the Coruscant? And so they're, they're talking this bread language, which mm-hmm. is my favorite thing um, that they're understanding the differences that, you know, bread's not whole wheat or white, you know? Yeah. <laughs> there's like the variety of grains. There's so many there, different no. species of grains. And I love, I love that part. So they'll ask the most, most frequently asked question is, um, you know, what's the differences between the breads? And then sometimes it's like, why is the bread so dark? <laughs> you know, because this yeah. style of bread, you're going to get more robust colors. But yeah, um, why is it burnt? Yeah. But <laughs> there, but that's also part of the education. Once they taste it and I say, I make it this way, you know, as the chef, I make it this way because this is the right way to eat it. And I tell them why. Mm-hmm. And then it's, they're like, aha. So you get all these people just really digging that they're developing this knowledge mm-hmm. of bread. But yeah, those kind of the questions like, what's the differences between this or that? And, you know, it's mm-hmm. so, and that's, these are the selling points I love mm-hmm. when they, people dig that it's not just whole wheat or white. Yeah. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, another question has to do with flour and, you know, different types of bread. Uh, this one's from Lori Gerber. And she says, you know, what level of protein do you prefer in your bread flour and why? And, you know, do you, make different choices when baking different types of bread. I think maybe she's referring to, you know, like there's, you know, when a all purpose flour is a lower protein, mm-hmm. bread flour is a higher protein. Um, how do you make those decisions? Do you, you know, do you have a preference with, with, a, with your sourdough? And then how do you make those decisions when you're using different types of flour? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so there's, you know, different parts to this question, but one thing, I like to do, and I'm learning more and more about the local grains, is that you, for me, I like to have a balance of proteins. You know, some, used to, we used to think, okay, maybe Montana wheat with a 16%, 18% protein is good, but, you know, there's qualities that come out of that. And I don't like a bread that's too tough, you know? Mm-hmm. And so working with flours that are maybe, you know, 12%, 11% for some of the organic bread flours, you know, it's sifted. Mm-hmm. Like hard reds, but combine them with other flours. Like, for example, I'm just going to say white Sonoran wheat. Um, you know, it's a soft wheat. It's uh, maybe that same protein, but softer wheat. So I like to combine sometimes soft and hard wheats to create an effect on the bread that helps the bread maybe bloom a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Um, so like adding the, some of the, the soft wheats to the baguettes to lower that protein or to like create different um, textures on it that you know, or make it softer basically, but, mm-hmm. you know, kind of, you know, different crusts, but you could say, and different flavors. And that's the second part. So the flavor differences, you know, combining different flowers. A lot of my breads are made up of blends with these heritage grains. So you can really influence flavor profiles by just adding like 10% of this, 15% of that, like adding some spelt or some, you know, rye or, you know, einkorn. So I like to vary the flavors, um, and the look of the breads with the the different grains. And then also looking at pigments. So, you know, 
we're artisan bakers, so we're sculpting mm -hmm. dough. We want the bread <laughs> to all look different. So mm -hmm. working with different um, pigments of the grains. So you have like these hard reds, you know, obvious coloration or red fife. And with white sonora, these lighter grains, you know, so combining these whole, you know, maybe I could say a palette. You can like yeah. a baker's palette. Now you can blend wow. all these different colors together. And that's when people look at, you know, the racks of bread I have, it all looks different. And I uh -huh. try to make it look like the deserts because I have like brown, like tan grains, brown, rust color grains, blonde grains, you know, something in between, you know, sometimes um, buckwheat that can turn it different colors of purple. So like thinking of that as a baker, you know, you don't want all your breads to look the same. It's artisanal. Uh -huh. It's we're 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 artists too. So like blending those pigments and once you understand like that part of it, you're just like, I'm going to go out and look at these different radical grains and, <laughs> and get all these pigments. You know, it's just, it's cool. When people, when I tell them that they're like, ah, oh, it makes sense. But you know, I like to make yeah. bread that looks like my desert, the yeah. desert where I live. And it just thankfully shows up. It's just kind of this initial kind of picture I have of the loaf I want to create and then I can just go like a painter into those grains and get the pigments and draw them out and that's what I did with the lineup of breads yeah well I feel like I feel like I'm kind of in between uh the second part of your answer and the third um, as far as like you know I'm not quite to the point where I'm looking at the pigments but I have you know had a little experience with you know the heritage grains you know still stone milled heritage grains and and then, yeah, it is a challenge. And I think, you know, it, it's such a, um, people want to get into, start using these grains and, um, and it's, there's a kind of a learning curve to like, um, baking with them. I definitely struggled when I first made my first loaf. Uh, but yeah, I think that's good advice, you know, to, to use different types of flowers, do some, like a blend that will, you know, um, help the heritage grain get a little more airy or rise yeah. a little more not be so chewy or um but yeah that you know but uh, yeah maybe maybe i need to start work looking at my um my color palette as well hey there you <laughs> no it's so cool but you know even starting just starting even sometimes 50 50 blend like say if you had an organic flower you use and maybe king arthur's or bob's red mill and i'm talking about home bakers you know anything like that where you can say okay i'll start at like 50-50 blend, 50% of that with some of these other heritage grains mm. and make that like whole grain, half whole grain, half sifted bread. And then from there, you kind of get an idea, okay, which mm. side do I want to go? But yeah. gain some like practice with it, understand like what that addition does to the loaf. Does it mm. That's good know, advice. solve yeah. the gluten structure? You know, how often do I have to fold it? You know, kind of, but that is a great thing to do because it makes you on your it gets you on your bread game so you have to really be more mindful about what you're doing not just okay i use this um sir galahan flour and it's just like all white flour and it does great every time it's so predictable you know it's like what i had to do is start with all these percentages and work off of that until i can get a good idea like the performance each one of these grains like you know and their expression at the same time uh, for coloration and flavor so I would recommend that to home baker, you know, even 10%, get in there and do it, get some of the local grains and, you know, or where, where the closest place you can to you that's growing it and, and experiment. But, you know, but once you get in, get going, it makes you a better baker because you're more mindful, you're getting more experience about 
the cause and effect of these breads in, in your dough experiment. Um, and then it just becomes fascinating where you're never capped, you never cap yourself from learning, you know, because it could always change. You know, of course, you have all the variables, too, that you contend with while you're doing it. But it makes it really fun, exciting. And that's what gets people hooked. I think that's what's getting people super hooked right now. Yeah. Oh, no, I, I agree. Mm hmm. Well, Don, um, I wanted to give you an opportunity to maybe talk about some of the projects you're working on, um, speaking events. Um, actually, I, I saw you were at the Fermentation Festival in yeah, Austin recently. That was great. Loved it. Are you? Do you have any other things coming up that uh, you want people to know about? Um, let's see. So I'll be at the Green Gathering in Mount Vernon um, next summer, and I'll be a keynote speaker at that event. And Stephen Jones, my gosh, he's so good to me. He's he believes in what I'm doing. He's asked me to come be the keynote and talk about community supported baking. So I hope to see a lot of my friends there. I love Seattle, Mount Vernon, and what's going on there with that green economy. So I'll be there. Um, in the meantime, I hope to travel to Australia, to nice. yeah, city of Melbourne, to work with Tim D Tim Dunn, Melbourne, I should say, to work with Tim Dunn, uh, Urban Grain Bakery, and hopefully taking my friend James Brown from Austin um, mm -hmm. Miller with me to to lecture about local grain economy development, and then Rome. I'll have a fun wow. trip to Italy with my family. They want to go on a nice trip. They're not. I can't. I can't. I can't not take them <laughs> on a big trip. It, uh, vacation or bread related trip? Both. 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 Yeah. So <laughs> that's gonna that's gonna happen, and, and uh, so meet some bakers there. Hopefully, Bunchy. And yeah. So and just working with the university, trying to do some guest, you know, doing some guest lectures with the University of Arizona Fermentation Science, and that's going on. Very cool. Currently, so yeah, just gonna get out there and continue to have fun and. and Talk about education and local grain economy development, but I'm I'm really excited for um, grain gathering. That's going to be super fun to connect with people I haven't seen for a while. Great. Well, and then what's the best way for people to connect with you, Don? Um, Instagram's a great platform. I love doing that. Um, Barrio Bread is my handle, okay. and Barrio Baker is kind of you know just for fun. I put yeah. more family <laughs> stuff on there and random stuff, but don't promote it like Barrio as much as Barrio Bread. So connect with Barrio Bread, my Instagram, my Facebook page, um, Don Guerra, Barrio slash Barrio Bread. And, you know, it's kind of busy. I, don't, I wish I had more time for emails connecting that way, but Instagram is great. Just pictures here it. and there and, yeah. you know, some DM and to connect. That's a great way. And then visit my website, barriobread.com. And good resource and good fun layout of the breads and story and media stuff and yeah you got also barrio grains yeah and barrio grains is coming up too so that's my new company and making flour blends and sharing on my website kind of knowledge sharing platform like you know what you can make with these different blends and how to do it even a um a youtube video of me making some pizza dough okay. that you know 15 minute video so you can get on there and just watch that even if you don't have the grains just how how a quick easy way to do it but yeah, find find me in those places, and yeah, looking forward to have more fun. Awesome. It's, yeah. Well, thanks, Don. I you know I know you got a busy schedule, and uh, but it's been an absolute pleasure speaking with you today. So thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me, and thank you, audience, for listening. And yeah, it's super fun. So I'm honored to be be with you here. All right. Well, thanks, Don. Have a great evening. Okay. Thanks, everyone. Thank you, Mike.
about things that are stable So steady and sure Like a strong dining table That's weathered and warm Would you dine in my table If I asked you to To come over Cause I love having people here Right now I'm asking you So come over Steady and sure Like a strong dining table Though weathered and warm Won't you dine in my table If I ask you to 